Welcome to this late hour. Casual conversation. Welcome to this late hour. Casual conversation. Welcome to this late hour. Casual conversation. Getting real. Host Casey Knowlton. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today marks the first episode of a different style, uh, maybe a, a somewhat familiar style for those who have been following since season one, but just a laid back conversation with uh, my occasional co-host, David. David, welcome back to this late hour. Thank you, Casey. It's really good to be here again. It's always good to have you on. So yeah, we kind of were brainstorming some different things about the podcast and David, someone I run things by, and we talked about just having a conversation about David's faith and his own faith journey, testimony, and kind of some of his denominational uh, background and journey as well. And so here we are. So how are things going, David? Uh, things are going well. Can't complain. God has been good. Fantastic. Well, here where I'm recording at, spring is maybe going to show up now uh, it's uh you know yesterday we had uh, hail and snow and then yeah, today has been uh, today has been sunny and the neighbor is mowing his lawn so <laughs> yeah whatever um so if there's some uh some uh background noise i apologize to the listeners i'm doing my best but we're recording at a little bit of a different time of day so there might be some interesting background noise i'll do my best to clear it up but so i mean obviously here on the podcast i'm always going to be wanting to focus in on the way uh you know jesus and faith in christ has an impact on our life and you know you and i are friends and we have a lot of you know uh uh denominational or, or theological, you know, similarities or agreements, but there's also issues where, you know, maybe we don't see eye to eye, but, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's not a problem. And I've made a point uh, on the podcast to mention one of the foundational pillars of the show is unity, you know, so, so, you know, so long as, you know, we're not, you know, uh, going against orthodoxy, we have enough of that going on in churches already. Uh, we need to be on guard of that, but just some of these things that, you know, secondary tertiary things that are important for sure. And we can be passionate about that. We may have disagreements on, but I want people to, uh, hear stories of how, you know, faith in Christ is, uh, changes people's lives and how it has an impact on just our day to day. And, uh, you know, we were going to talk a little bit about your own testimony and, you know, what coming to Christ has looked like for you and, you know, what impact that's been on, on your life and then also kind of your journey, you know, through churches and different denominations and kind of where you've landed on your feet as far as that's concerned. So 
I guess my first question is, uh, so how did you come to know about Jesus? Yeah, uh, Casey, I appreciate the opportunity to share here. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home and um, heard about Jesus from a very young age. And I really, you know, that's something I really appreciate from my parents uh, raising me that way. And, you know, the other one of the other really cool things they did is they would just play the, the audio Bible all the time. Um, and it was just... Uh, our house was pretty saturated with Bible and it was, it's, it's still stuck with me to this day. Um, I believe that, you know, a lot of the, the knowledge of scripture that I have now is thanks to my parents, just playing audio Bible. I, I got, and I got to do that for my own kid. Cause I think that's so important. I've been doing it a little bit, but um, mm. it, it needs to happen a lot more. Anyway. Um, you know, I, I, uh, in terms of major milestones, you know, prayed the sinner's prayer when I was seven. And, um, in, and I don't know how common this is, but it felt like it didn't take. Right. And I, I prayed it again when I was eight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this time was that one of those, I uh, was some, uh, it was like, I think it was called the eternity play, uh, that was, that was passing through town and it was all about where you're going to spend eternity. And they, you know, invited everybody up to say the sinner's prayer. So of course I got to go up there too. Cause, um, want to want to make double sure you know a, a check that make sure everything's good right so and, and i don't know if i mentioned but we grew up in an evangelical church um a really good church family uh, a lot of good friendships um some of it still continue to this day um and good solid exegetical bible teaching um from a you know a evangelical perspective and I can't complain. I feel very blessed to have that background. Um, then I was baptized at the age of eight out in the river. And I thought, you know, that's a great thing to do. If you can baptize people out in the river, (laughs) (laughs) that that is awesome. And, um, let's see then. So I, and when I was a teenager too, I think I was really blessed because I had some people come into my life who were, um, much more passionate about knowing God and about teaching how to walk with God. And that was something I just never picked up earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, those mentors really made a big impact on my life. And I think from that time, it, I've been a lot more serious about the things we typically consider walking with God, like maintaining the daily prayer life, going to church as much as we're able to, those kind of sort of things. And um, by the grace of God, at least to varying degrees, I've continued in in that path um, since being about 15 or so of actually taking it seriously and owning it as my own faith. And I, I, unfortunately, like you know, that's not been the case for a lot of friends from that that same church. But um, so I, I couldn't tell you what's different. But yeah, I uh, have been trying to continue on the path since then with some degree of success. And I think that was around the time that you and I met as well. Um, yes. That, I think, I think uh, we went to this same church and um, you know, I wasn't there super long and unfortunately the church did have a split, which is, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, I, maybe that's becoming common, but um, you are right that uh, you know, many of the people there were very disenfranchised by what happened. And um, it is, you know, a little heartbreaking to, 
to see what what has happened to a lot of the people who were once professing Christians have kind of wandered away and uh, whether they're prodigals or perhaps were never believers or just, yeah, I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it seems to me that this kind of, of issue seems to happen probably more often than we think. And, and I think maybe it's been happening even more as we've seen, uh, you know, certainly in recent the last couple of decades, a mass exodus of young people leaving churches. And I think yeah, maybe it does seem to be happening. I think maybe a lot of it has to do with just issues of internal infighting. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm calling for unity on the show. It's like we just get so caught up on some of these secondary issues, which look, I mean, some of them are they're very important, but if we can't agree to disagree on some of them and have our shared faith in Christ, knowing he's, uh, you know, the hope of our salvation that through him alone, we are saved. And, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's unfortunate and it's, uh, it's done great damage to the church, you know, people getting so, you know, caught up and fighting for their one or two sort of uh, key issues that they just want to, uh, you know, are willing to die for, you know, you know, not, not having any grace or uh, yeah. not, not making any, I don't want to say compromise. Cause that's, that sounds wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean, but I, I don't know a, a different word to say. I mean, you know, we do have differences of, of opinion or disagreements and really, I, I think these things should be allowed in churches. And, you know, for me, I, I just quickly on the side, obviously this is a, a your chance to share, but just related to this issue. Um, you know, I'm attending a church now. It's very Baptist and I love the church. They're solid on their Bible teaching and preaching and have a very high view of scripture. And I appreciate the church for that. And I may have some disagreements here and there on some things, but I just let them go because ultimately if I can worship and practice my faith there and we can all be unified and, you know, uh, preaching the gospel to those who are lost and making sure the true gospel is preached and, and having a, a strong community of believers who are kind and, and filled with the fruits of the spirit, then I, I'm not really concerned about some of these other things that again, we can just get so twisted up like pretzels over. You know, yeah, that's something uh, you appreciate more and more. Those who uh, really are genuinely earnestly desiring to, to seek and pursue God. And that, that's just ultimately more important than, Hey, do we, you know, check nine out of 10 boxes on, you know, it's, you know, certain theological issues, you know, <laughs> I just appreciate it more and more. And I, I used to get hung up on certain things like, okay, the Calvinist versus Arminian debate to the extent that, that impacts evangelicalism. I was involved with those debates, but mm -hmm. you know, what's funny is one of the, one of the friends that I was debating all that stuff with, he still walks with God. And I just appreciate that, you know, mm -hmm. um, that matters so much more than who came out where on these issues. It's just <laughs> perseverance, you know, that, that matters. Yeah, I, I have a feeling we're all going to be surprised in one way or another on some of our views we hold so closely when we get up to to see the Lord or when he comes down. 
uh, or brings us up or however that's going to work. Cause we know there's differences of opinion on that too, but yeah. uh, we know he's coming in soon, but uh, I, I think we're all going to be shocked on some of these things go, Oh man, I was wrong on that. <laughs> you know, uh, just, but we'll be in the presence of the Lord and no one will care. Right. So, well, so, so do you have, you know, you talked about, you know, your teenage years, you ended up in this church and it, you know, it went through a split. There was many kind of lost, have lost their way, or uh, maybe their, their true way was exposed or, you know, it could be a variety of different things that, you know, occurred. We don't know. We can't see into the hearts and minds of other people. Thank goodness. But uh, kind of after there, what's, you know, lead us on your journey of where you went from there and how your church, your church journey kind of went from there. Yeah. So, um, I think it was around the time of the split. I was actually away, um, on military training and then deployment for, and then ended up being a full two years. I was pretty much away. And so things were very different by the time I came back. And after coming back, we didn't really feel like we had a church home. We tried out several other churches where some of the people had gone and, um, and then it was shortly thereafter that I ended up me- meeting my wife. And, um, you know, so I'd come from an evangelical background. She came from a Baptist background. So tons of overlap, tons of similarity. And, um, but it still took us quite a while to really, you know, we were going around various places, but it took a, it took a while to really find a place to get plugged into. And it probably wasn't until, you know, I think 2012 or so that we ended up uh, finding a little Baptist church and we checked it out and, uh, it felt like home, you know, uh, there's some really wonderful people there, good, solid, uh, exegetical preaching. The pastor is somebody who, um, had a deep knowledge of, uh, the biblical languages like he 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 could actually speak hebrew had been in israel mm-hmm. and so it was just it was really fun you know the the level of detail that he'd go into on the the history the and the language and all that stuff and in in the text there's just a ton to learn and um so that that was a really uh great experience and i actually was ready to to join that church i you know the Baptists be, are, are dispensational in their, in their leanings about the, you know, the end times typically. And, um, I, I wasn't there. I know we've talked about that in a different episode, but they were still like, yeah, you can, you can join, you know, even though it's, you know, part of their statement of faith. Um, and I, I was pretty close to joining. I just wanted to join together as my fa- family. Well, unfortunately at about the same time, my wife's health started going downhill. So her attendance was more sporadic. So, um, and that was kind of the catalyst why we never, ended up formally joining. Um, but I also, so I mean, that's kind of my denominational background up until things really start changing. Right. Um, then you became a Mormon. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so, yeah. So then what happened was I, I it was due to, to some, certain like health issues and concerns and other things going on in my life. My life was not very <laughs> easy in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, I started like, realizing that my understanding of what it means to be human 
was severely truncated. Um, what does it mean to be embodied was, was kind of the, the core question that I was asking. And I didn't know for a quite a while that that's what I was looking for, but mm-hmm. is, is various things. And I, and I've explained them to Casey. I, I don't think I really want to dive into them on the, on to the, this podcast here, but um, it got me really diving into the theology of what does it mean to be embodied and what does it, what really is the Christian understanding of sexuality? Because to be honest with you, a lot of the resources that were out there on those topics from an evangelical perspective were pretty shallow. And there was just way too much overlap between worldly thinking. And it, it was like the teachings on sexuality that you get from a lot of the the, the mainstream evangelical sources were, were similar enough to the world, but it's like, oh, but we're really strong. I'm just, you know, keeping all that stuff in a box, keeping it carefully, uh, tightly boxed in so we don't formally go into whatever, you know, we believe the, the scripture calls sin, right? Um, and it wasn't nearly as, as focused on, on what I came to see as the truly powerful call to, to transformation that the, that the scriptures actually have. Um, hmm. you know, that reminds me of, you remember that book I kissed dating goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> the author of that, I think has walked away from the faith. So you were talking about shallow kind of uh, all the, you know, resources kind of sounded the same and that book popped to mind. And another one of our, uh, you know, in the faith community who has abandoned the faith. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that, that the people, the, the, the people who are truly like to have deep roots are getting published. I think it's, uh, stuff that is more flashy and offers quick solutions is the stuff that sells. Um, and so anyway, I, when I, when I had to, to really, when it became really deeply personal to, to, to study these issues and dive into them, the resources weren't there, um, and thankfully, I had that wonderful pa- pastor at the Baptist Church. He spent time just talking th- through this stuff, and he'd never like formally, you know, sat down and thought about this these questions from a theological perspective. But he he's you know somebody who's read so much. He was just a great resource, and he was just willing to mentor me, like to kind of talk me through how to explore this stuff. And it it was really I really appreciated his support there. It was it was a really cool thing because. Um, some of the stuff I found was, you know, even evangelical websites, uh, on the internet, which, you know, you can find a lot of really fringe and crazy stuff out there. Uh, that, yeah, like that. Like, have you heard, have you heard of that? This late hour podcast, man, that, that thing's <laughs> wacky. Totally whack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, you, you have to, it's so good to have somebody to talk to, to, to go through these questions with, I guess, to get to the point, what I ended up coming away with was uh, a different understanding of what it means to be human, what it means to be embodied. So I'd always thought of what, when you think of a human being, you're essentially a soul and we just have a body temporarily. um, And then when you die, your body goes into the ground and that's the end of that. And your soul goes up to heaven to be with Jesus and all's good, right? That is not at all what the scriptures actually say. When you actually dive into it and read it, it is all about the resurrection. The interim state where the, the body and the soul are separated is only mentioned in passing. 
Mm-hmm. It is not the main point. Um, it, like in, in John chapter six, like Jesus talks about, you know, it, it, he's, he repeats this phrase and I will raise him up on the last day. He just goes straight to it's the resurrection over and over and over again. It's not only Christ's resurrection, it's our resurrection, the ultimate um, restoration of our humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that there's other, you know, authors who are, uh, helping us to grapple with the same thing. Like, um, there's uh, like N.T. Wright is, a, is one name who came up, who's, who's been really writing really good stuff about the resurrection. Um, but anyway, that was eye opening to me, like, whoa, I got to start rethinking a lot of things. If I've missed something so essential, like I always believed in Jesus resurrection. I always knew about that. But what I missed about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he talks about the resurrection, he says, unless you believe in your own resurrection, then you're, you ultimately, you, if you don't believe in your own resurrection, you're ultimately going to end up denying the resurrection of Christ. Mm. Um, yeah. And if Christ isn't raised, then there is nothing. You know, it is the physical bodily resurrection that is absolutely central to our faith and our, mm. our hope. Yeah, I think I just read uh, read from that scripture for the last for episode one, uh, you know, where he says our our preaching is in vain and our our faith is in vain, something like that. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that that just I mean I know that I knew that as an apologetic, right? But like if Christ has not been raised, we know that's that that's that's central. But it, it's what he says right before that. It's see where he says, and I don't have the scripture in front of me, but it, he he really just says you have to believe in your own resurrection. Our resurrection, the, the, the general resurrection is a reality that we must accept. Wish I could, wish I had it in front of me so I could actually read the text. But. Yeah, so do I. Why don't, you, why don't you continue on and I'll see if I can find it. Yeah. Um, so that, realization got me rethinking a bunch of stuff and i i remember it took a long time to just go through the scripture and and work out what an actual biblical theological anthropology looked like and i was like whoa we gotta you you know uh we've we've gotta you know uh bring this message out to the churches this is why we're losing the battle on the sexual revolution is because we're not operating with the entirety of the gospel. We've missed that we are embodied beings. We're treating ourselves as just um, spiritual and not, and our physical is only temporary and transitory rather than realizing that our own bodies are part of our restoration and are going to Mm -hmm. participating in our restoration and redemption. Well, even if you go back to, as you know, I love to do Genesis, you know? Yeah. I mean, what was God's intention there? It wasn't just a, you know, make a, a, a spirit. He made a body and breathed the spirit of life into it. And right. so the, you know, death was not now God is sovereign. He knew what was going to happen, but you know, as far as what the plan was, uh, or however you want to say it, or the intention God intended for us to be in that state of, and we could call it glorification or original glory. Uh, and yes, you're, you're hitting on a, a, a key and crucial uh, aspect of uh, our Christian doctrine that I think, yes, does go missed. We just celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ 
you know, here we are on Palm Sunday going into is when this recording is being done going into uh, Holy Week and we're missing, you know, often the, the good news of, of what that means for us. In fact, I did find that scripture. It's first Corinthians 15 and I'm going to read 12 through 19. Uh, and it's the ESV. It's the translation I've kind of become accustomed to. Uh, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead, like the Sadducees? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people most to be pitied. Yeah, that is so much writing on that. Yeah. And that, you know, that means this body is raised with, mm-hmm. to become truly eternal. And that was like profound to me to realize, you know, and I, I like, I think most men, uh, I struggled with uh, pornography addiction as, from my teen years on, but realizing, whoa, that those bodies that I'm looking at are eternal. Mm. They are not temporary it puts a profound new light on on something that we just think of as something dirty or something to be thrown away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How you view um, others. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I mean, there's a lot more nuance right here, right? Sure. Cause we're, you know, people, people, especially people who struggle with chronic illness and stuff. I, at least the, some that I know really struggle with the doctrine of the bodily resurrection. Like, body suck i want to be done with it but um you know so you have to preach that it's wholeness it's newness it's restoration too mm-hmm. but anyway that was just so uh su- such a massive realization to me right i don't know if you want me to go into the next section yet or not well just i'll just add on that note like you know why the resurrection of the body is so important. Like, you know, one of the things I long for is to, you know, cause both of our spouses have different chronic issues. And I, I have to say, I think I'm almost looking forward more to seeing my wife in her glorified state than I am my own. Yeah. Just the, that's, fr- that's the, really the freedom and the, the beauty of, of what is promised to us through the resurrection. Right. That is so powerful. Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, you, so you were kind of, you know, coming to this, shall we call it an epiphany, uh, you know, this, <laughs> this uh, revelation of, of the, you know, deeper meanings of resurrection of the body and just what that means for us as believers, kind of what, you know, and you'd been, you know, kind of, you know, back and forth with this church uh, due to some issues with 
your wife's health. So kind of where, where did you go from there? What happened as you were exploring this and what happened after that? Well, um, I wasn't planning on making any changes. I, so I got an opportunity to present to the, the men of that church about to just talk through this, uh, you know, from the perspective of battling pornography, what, what does biblical theology of embodiment actually do for us? Um, what, you know, what tools does it give us? And I, you know, I ultimately, I don't know if, if my talk was helpful or not, but, um, you know, at least thinking through it was very helpful for me. Um, but, and I started to, to live with that as a reality as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And I had this weird sense that I was missing something really profound still, like even after learning a lot more, like, okay, so learning to view the body differently really helped really like was massively powerful in battling against lust, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the cure all that I thought it would be. Um, it was like one powerful weapon, but not enough. And I was like, God, and then there was other things that just it made me think, okay, so I'm onto something here. I'm still missing something. So I remember praying, God, what am I missing? Would you show me what, what is still wrong? What, what am I not getting? Um, and I, I, God answered that in a very unexpected way. So there was this um, blogger and author that I was following because he had just really, really great stuff on uh, talking about the the Gnosticism that that has crept into modern Christianity and how how disembodied um, it become. And he just had just fantastic resources, tons of research. Um, and I'd always like link to his stuff on Facebook and stuff. Well, uh, it turned out he became an Orthodox Christian. Hmm. And I was like, I didn't really know much about you know, what that was at the time. And I was really annoyed by that because, um, here, here's this great resource that I can share with all my friends. And then he has to go and turn it into some weird, you know, uh, whatever, what Catholic like thing, whatever that was, you know, that, that he moved to. Now I can't really like link his stuff anymore. Cause if anybody clicks on it, then I'll see, Oh, now he's Orthodox. Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> there goes that resource. But I was like, well, how does somebody who is that, you know, well-versed in the scripture end up with, this kind of position. So I ended up um, looking into some of his writing on, on where he was coming from on that. And I was kind of blown away, honestly. And I was like, oh, okay. There's a lot uh, that I have missed maybe. And it was right around the time, I think after I prayed that prayer that I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, and simultaneous with that, from a different perspective, um, someone else who I really respected also was pointing out that one of those ways that Gnosticism has crept in is the denial of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Mm. Can, can, you quickly, that, can you quickly define Gnosticism for those who aren't familiar with the term? Yes. Yeah, so um, Gnosticism is kind of, a kind of a rejection of the body, a rejection of the material, and an attempt to embrace only the spiritual. And so it really is unfair to characterize um, any form of Christianity as Gnostic, strictly speaking, but there does seem to be like, there's this level of Gnostic thought where, which is just kind of a rejection of the material that has crept into 
uh, Christianity, particularly modern Christianity. And keep in mind that the Gnosticism was one of the first heresies that the church encountered. Mm. I, I wonder if this is because it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction to materialism and saying that's all there is on the opposite end. And so there's a tendency to, you know, the pendulum to always swing the other direction. And so you start getting in, you know, seeing these things creep back in. Uh, you I, know, yeah, I think that that really is one of the sources of it. So you were saying that this, um, you were saying something about the Eucharist. Go ahead. Well, somebody was pointing out that um, you can see that the like this denial of Christ's words about the Eucharist is kind of like one of those forms of Gnosticism. And I was like, wait, really? Because obviously as a Baptist, I did not believe that the Eucharist was anything other than an ordinance, which was for our um, more more or less for our statement of our, you know, relationship with, with Christ. It's something we do. It's not something God does for us. Right. Right. Um, and it was, it's just a sign, an outward sign of an inward reality of our, um, attitude towards, uh, receiving Christ. Right. There's nothing in the bread, nothing in the, well, in this case, grape juice that would actually like be transformative in any way. It's kind of the, and that's the view I'd already had, always had never, never challenged that, never gave that really a second thought. Um, and I'd always assumed that those who held to other ideas were people who were, you know, reading stuff into the scripture, which simply wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. Like they were, they were, those are the people who were spiritualizing texts and misinterpreting them. And uh, one of the things my pastor used to repeat was those who spiritualize have no spirit. Uh, Wait, say that tell, again. He'd say, he'd say, "Those who spiritualize tell spiritual lies because they have no spiritual eyes." So, kind of, kind of a fun, fun wordplay on the word "spiritualize," mm. right? But, and so I kind of assumed that's what that was, right? right. You're reading into something that's not there. Well, after this other friend who had who had been talking with me through, and you know, his writings have been really helpful in thinking about what it, what does it mean to be embodied. He said that. I was like, okay, now I have to deal with this question. So I went and read John chapter six. And I have always wondered what that text meant. It was weird. It's strange. It's like some people preach it as Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus. Is this the text that refers to <laughs> eating my flesh and drinking my blood? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I I read that. Now, now with this lens of, of watching out for, for Gnosticism is kind of my, my backdrop. I read that text through completely new eyes and I read, um, uh, Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli in the, in the early reformation, they had a big debate over, uh, the nature of the Eucharist and oh, see, and I'm probably, I'm, I see my, even my use of the word Eucharist kind of presumes a theological position, right? Cause evangelicals just call it, um, communion, communion. right? Right. And then of course that, that word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Um, but, but yeah, I, I read it through very new eyes. And so at the, at the end of that debate between Luther and Zwingli, it just blew me away because Zwing, Luther is, is just taking a very literalist perspective. He's saying, Jesus said, this is my body and taking that word is to mean is. Um, and Zwingli is using these complex uh philosophical and kind of like 
uh, almost mathematical argument, not, not math formally, but like complex logical uh, philosophical arguments uh, as to why this, why the Lutheran and Catholic interpretation is impossible. And then, but he's not really arguing it from the text. He's arguing it from a position of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And Luther's just camped out on the text, on the literal meaning of the text. And yeah. um, then at the end, Zwingli says, he takes that, that, that what Christ says, I'm looking at, um, or, Let's see. This, it might be good to just kind of lay out some groundwork for those who aren't familiar with this sort of internal church debate. But, uh, you know, some some of our listeners may not even realize, you know, Martin Luther held to a view that was still very Catholic in that regard, or at least for, you know, yeah. what, the, what the church was before the Reformation. But, uh, you know, what, basically what we're talking about here is uh, transubstantiation which is, you know, it's a fancy word of basically meaning that when we take and partake in communion and remembering the Lord's Supper and, and eating the elements, whether it be a wafer or a piece of bread or wine or juice, uh, that these elements transform in, in, some, in some ways, you know, uh, into the real body and blood of Christ, who is our, you know, our sacrifice, our atonement. And so we're taking in that as... Um, you know, it's part of our relationship with him and how, and how that works out with um, quite literally remembering his death and, and what he did on the cross. And of course, you know, as someone who attends a Baptist church and comes from a more non-denominational background, uh, Christian background, evangelical background, I, you know, don't know that I necessarily hold the view of them being literal, uh, but if I'm going to be honest and as someone who defends a literal Genesis and just how important that is to our scriptural view, I have to be honest that uh, perhaps there's a little bit of an inconsistency because um, as far as this particular uh, issue is concerned, which is a very you know important issue in our churches, uh, I, I don't hold as literal of, as a view on this. So, you know, I think that's worth stating for the record. Yeah, I think that was a really good explanation. Good. I had no idea what I was talking about. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's great. You know, I, I for me, it was, when I'm moving from the Baptist view to the, uh, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, the more traditional view that's common among the Catholic, Orthodox, Lutheran, uh, Anglican, you know, all the, the older uh, Christian groups, you know, what kind of the what blew me away was like um Zwingli uh you know he takes John chapter 6 verse 36 verse 63 sorry John chapter 6 verse 63 Jesus says um in the King James version I should probably switch but uh it says the spirit that quickeneth it the pre- the flesh profiteth nothing the words I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life um, and Zwingli interprets that to see to basically say Christ's flesh doesn't matter. Christ's flesh uh, does nothing for us. And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Let's go back to First Corinthians fifteen. Everything in our <laughs> our whole salvation is contingent on the 
word became flesh and dwelt among us, um, everything hinges on that point being central. So if you, if you take that and interpret it to say, you know, Christ's saying his own flesh doesn't profit anything, then, well, that's a big problem. That, that is a road to a completely different form of Christianity. And I don't think for the most part that most Baptist interpreters that I've read um, would align with Zing, Zwingli on that interpretation. Um, but in practice, they kind of have to, to, to say basically the same thing. Um, anyway, I, I don't want to be unfair to anybody who, you know, holds that position, but that that's kind of how I came at it. Like it, I, it seemed to me like you can't be consistent and hold to a truly incarnational view and not um, uh, see the elements as more than just bread and wine. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's kind of dig into, okay. You're, so you're discovering this stuff about the resurrection, the body, being embodied and some of these views on communion or, or the Eucharist that were surprising to you as you found, you know, agreement with them or, you know, more agreement in the scripture than you thought you might. And so you start shifting toward, you know, interest in the Orthodox church. So tell us, as we kind of start headed toward a landing of the interview, kind of, or the conversation, I should say, kind of tell us uh, the, the listeners, you know, how, how you ended up kind of, transitioning into the Orthodox Christian church and kind of what it means for you in your faith with Christ and what it means for you today. Yeah. I was looking for something, something solid. Cause I, I had the sense, Casey, even long before you and I started talking about this, I had a sense that like things are going to get rough here in America and maybe around the world things. It's not are going be to get here. rough. It's not going to be easy <laughs> around being a Christian anymore. Yeah. And so I wanted something that had stood the test of time, something that had stood up under persecution. And, and to be perfectly frank with you, evangelicalism has not been tested. Mm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. I just, uh, you know, it's, I want, I wanted something that I, I was thinking, okay, if you're going to have a, a major storm, the biggest storm ever, you want the one that's weathered lot of you want the shelter that's weathered a lot of storms and so that's kind of in the back of my mind um and and so as i'm learning more about orthodoxy that and it, it this is the church that even up until the modern era has endured more per persecution than any other christian denomination i've heard that there were i me i don't have the uh, actual numbers in front of me but i i've heard of something like there's 65 million christians killed over the last century Mm. Um, and about 40 of those, something like that, 40 million of those were either Oriental Orthodox or the Eastern Orthodox communions, mm. um, huge numbers, Armenia, Russia. Um, and of course, you know, what we call the Middle East, uh, those Christians yeah. are suffering. These are people who know how to suffer. And yeah. if that's coming here to us. I'd rather be people who teach how to, how to endure that and how to remain faithful mm. through that. Um, so that, that was one of the things, but I mean, it, there, there, it, orthodoxy is really weird from an evangelical perspective. It just looks 
uh, you know, co- completely foreign. Um, a lot of the stuff in like, why on earth are you doing that? And you, it took a lot of research, a lot of time diving into the history, reading through uh, as much of the church fathers as I've been able to get to get through, which is not a lot, but I, you know, I've, I've done my best, done a lot of research on just like the broad outlines of church history um, and to try and, and figure this out. And ultimately I did, I guess, you know, to sum up my faith journey, I did ultimately become a catechumen in the Orthodox churches last uh, January. So it took a number of years of kind of hanging out on the periphery, you know, I went attending services um, for a while and um, it's not been the easiest from a family perspective because my wife's response was, what are you joining a cult? Like, <laughs> and uh, she heard a couple of handful of things that were like, you know, on a very surface level sound almost Mormon. And she's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no Mormon, anything around us. And so we have to have a, you know, some fairly in-depth conversation, you know, and, and talk through it. And, um, but anyway, yeah, ton, tons of depth and we won't go into any of that. I'm not trying to give a whole apologetic for the church. Just kind of say my story. And so, yeah, here you are. So, well, I, I mean, I appreciate you opening up about it and, you know, and really, again, it's in the spirit of unity that we had this conversation and, you know, we have some disagreements on, you know, some pretty important theological, uh, you know, uh, issues, but we have a faith in Christ, which un- unites us. And uh, you're absolutely right. Persecution is going to increase. And we, we just don't have time. We really just don't have time to be having, you know, petty arguments. Now, having, you know, uh, thoughtful uh, discussions and disagreements that are gracious and, 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 uh, and such, great. I mean, that's what we should be doing. Uh, testing the scriptures and, 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 you know, working out our salvation and fear and trembling with those uh, brothers and sisters in the faith who may have different views on different um, practices and scriptures than we do, but our faith in Christ unites us. And so uh, I think it is very important that we be um, kind of digging into whatever our denominational flavor is and, and certainly holding fast the word of God. Uh, regardless of whatever that denomination is, because yeah, I, you know, I, I hate to to be the uh, a prophet of woe and lamentation, but I mean, there's a sense that oh, things are getting back, going to get back to normal, and I just I don't see that happening. That things are going to get continually worse, and you know, these people who are trying to change our world, I'll call them the globalists. It's not like they're just going to stop. <laughs> right. You know, and if we read it, Revelation, we see, you know, that things end up going toward this globalist uh, sort of uh, counterfeit utopia, uh, you know, a, a sort of um, babble reborn or resurrected, dare I say the word. So, you know, and we, we can talk about that specifically at a, maybe a different conversation you know, about the globalists, but it just, it, it's, it's the time to come together under our 
salvation and, and our forgiveness in Christ and to unite in that, that Christ is the only way and that he is the one who will justify and, and uh, who will intercede, but, you know, before the father on our behalf versus getting caught up on, you know, matters of doctrine that while important uh, in these days, we have spent enough time in church history, you know, uh, wrestling on the, you know, wrestling <laughs> them out in a way that has not been always the best. Right. So, yeah. You know, Go ahead. I, ha- I had a couple more thoughts, if it's okay, on, on this the idea of talking with other Christian denominations. Yes. And kind of what came to mind was this, this notion of just diving deep within, you know, whatever tradition, whatever theological tradition you're in, um, just dive deep in there. So like in the, in the Baptist church, um, there was a lot of folks who were diving deep into, uh, some really great Puritan thinkers and. Oh yes. I um, had one recommended to me recently and I, gosh, I forgot his name, John something. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's, there's some good ones. They, they do write some, some really good stuff. And it was very helpful to me, you know, and then um, like even, so like the, the, the 16, 18, uh, sorry, 1689 London Baptist confession takes far more. They hate the word sacrament, right? But the, it, it refers to communion as the holy mysteries. That's something that, like you don't find that within current, Baptist church. So whatever, so I guess what I'm saying is whatever tradition you're in, dive in deep, you know, go look for the deep roots within that. And, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, find whatever, uh, you know, find what you can go into church history. And like, I've heard other people say, Hey, you know, the church fathers, they belong to all of us, right. They're, they're, they're part of all of our heritage. Right. right. Um, you and there, there's a wealth of information there. There's so, and then like in terms of like discussing in between traditions, right? So, I I hope I conveyed that I have a lot of respect for the Baptist tradition, um, and I am deeply grateful for the time I spent within there. Um, and I and I hope that I can have like more meaningful dialogues like this one, you know, with with people who hold that tradition, whereas I now have a, a new adopted tradition. Um, but I think, you know, it's so important to just take people's, take the various Christian traditions and understand their doctrines within their own framework um, as much as possible. And that's, that's very hard to do because it takes a lot of time and research and a, a fair amount of energy and, and, ju- and just be okay. if like, it's realizing that like, it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm about um like these secondary issues like okay maybe i know what my tradition holds about these things i i know what your tradition holds i don't know why your tradition holds what it holds i don't either (laughs) i I mean i just that's the way it's always been and and since i've been a believer in church that you know the elements have always been more of a an outward expression of an inward belief just same as baptism yeah. And I wasn't even, you know, talking about that. I mean, just broadly, like when we're talking in between traditions, I think it's so important to, to, um, 
look more for faithfulness within your own tradition and understanding uh, versus yeah. um, trying to make everybody outside conform to your belief. And like when you're talking to those outside, are you, you know, are, are they faithful to the, the Baptist understand, like for me, are you, are you being faithful to the Baptist's understanding? And obviously I know you're coming from some other, other background as well, you know, but just like, are you being faithful to your own understanding and not judge you by the standards of my tradition? Right. So mm-hmm. who am I to judge another man's servant? I, I don't mm. know if that made any sense or not, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does. And basically what I hear you saying is that in a time when our churches and our faiths are being deconstructed and uprooted, this is the time we need to be drilling down, going deep and holding fast because it's not like it's going to end anytime soon. Uh, this, this, you know, assault on Christian Christianity and Western thought is going to continue to, to grow because it stands in the way of those who desire to make the world in the apple of their eye, instead of following, you know, what the scriptures say. Yeah. Thank you for putting that so succinctly. That was what I was trying to say. Yeah. Well, David, I appreciate you coming on and just opening up a little bit about your faith story, your denominational journey and, uh, you know, you're a great addition to the podcast. Appreciate when you can come on and co-host or have conversations. So hopefully our listeners will get some enjoyment out of that and be able to have some good conversations with some of their brothers and sisters and other faiths of the Christian uh, umbrella, if you will, uh, under all under the blood. And uh, as we work toward unity and preparing for the continued and rising persecution that is upon us. Yes. Thank you for the time and the wonderful conversation here. It was my pleasure and hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. And uh, for our listeners, thank you for joining us for this first casual conversation on this late hour. I'm hoping uh, my wife, Mandy will come on uh, in the near future. I'm sure I'll have Dave on again and, and maybe others as well, but just a chance to just sort of talk through things casually unscripted and to just be real because I think in a world where we don't know what real is anymore, it's good to have some grounded, real conversations. You have been listening to this late hour. Your contribution helps pay our fees, improve our equipment and build better content. It is my hope that your continued support of our show may bring future interviews and exclusives. Our goal is to always be improving our show so that the church may be strengthened in our mission to bring salt and light to this present darkness. May God richly bless you.